You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. I'm glad you're here. Before we get going, Jed, I'm going to assign you to my man Vince down there. You, Keith, and Vince. I'm going to assign a couple of you guys. If someone would go, I want to, we need to pray for some health things this morning. We got a couple people that got some health problems. And I want uh, somebody to go over there and lay hands on Brother Bob. Don't jostle him too much. Don't jostle Vince too much. And also for Miss Bobby. All three of them are suffering with some things. Vince um, uh, is concerned. He may have some cancer going there. And uh, we want to take the time to pray for him and lift him up before we get going. So, um, and Miss Bobby is just in dealing with constant pain. Brother Bob is dealing with constant pain. So those that maybe feel like you have a spiritual gift of healing or just compassion, or whatever. Why don't you go over there, put your hand on them, just one or two, if you would. I'll wait for you to move, and then we'll pray for them, and then we'll continue with our service. I want them to be able to focus on the service, and, um, and just have peace in their spirit, you know. So I'll give you just a second to move over there, lay a hand on them, if you would. And then I'll pray. Father, this morning before we begin, Lord, we have some in our midst that are in suffering. And while we're going to talk about suffering some today, we're talking about it on Wednesday night as well, Lord, but uh, Sunday night. But these, this is a real thing for them today. And so we lift up Vince first, Lord, uh, with this uh, diagnosis of potentially cancer, Lord, in his, in his body, Lord. We pray for healing. We pray that... Uh, that you would work in his body, Lord. I pray that you use this time of, of sickness, whatever it is, to draw him closer to you, Lord. I pray that he be able to see your hand of goodness upon him in this. Lord, we pray for healing there. We pray for the doctor that's going to work on him and, and recommend different things for him, Lord. But overall, we pray for healing. But in the healing, Lord, we pray, I pray, that Vince's heart would be so softened towards you, Lord, that he could see that it's only by you and by your strength, the great physician, that he's healed, and that he has usefulness because you've made him for a purpose, Lord. So I pray that you reveal your purpose to him, expose that to him, Lord, and uh, just make him zealous for you through this. For Miss Bobby and for Bob, they have some similar issues there with joint pain and back pain and just suffering hard to walk. Also for Norman over here, I forgot Norman. Lord, we just ask for mercy in that. I ask for mercy. I, I ask for endurance, perseverance, Lord, to... to to push through the pain and the suffering that they're enduring, Lord, that they can see your hand of goodness upon them in so many other ways, that this is just a short time of looking through a glass darkly, but on the other side, Lord, it's going to be rejoicing. The sorrow is from the, for the night, but joy comes in the morning, Lord. We pray for those morning hours when they get a respite from their pain. Father, have mercy on this body this morning, Lord. We thank you for your goodness to us. You've exposed your goodness to us over and over and over, Lord. May we not miss out how good you are to us and how much you love us. We thank you, Lord, for these, Lord. Thank you for those that are willing to pray with them, Lord. We ask you to pour your spirit out on them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanted, Vince, you especially, man, I love you, man. I wanted you to have some peace this morning as you are sitting there that you don't have to worry about that. God has got it under control. He's got it in hand. He's not unaware of your sufferings. Um, but he uses suffering for a purpose. We're going to see that this morning, I hope. 
We've got to be careful not to attach the things of God that God attached to the people of Israel to ourselves. Uh, uh, many churches years ago, there was this thing called the uh, replacement theology where they were like God had removed his hands from the Israelites and put it on the church and said they were no longer his chosen people. They're his chosen people. I want you to understand that as we talk about that this morning. But you also can be part of God's chosen people at the moment that you accept Christ, the, the moment that you put yourself under the authority of Christ, you receive God the Father as your father, you receive Christ as your brother, and you have a familial status with God. You're his people. You're his family. Then as the body of Christ, as we come together, this is the bigger family. We've got, kind of we got a good mix of family here. And all of us are the people of God. Some people don't believe that. But I'm telling you, I believe it. I'm God's people. I want to be God's people. I don't want to be not God's people. That's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. I'm God's people. So if I'm God's people, then he has directives for me to live by, you as well. And we need to be uh, diligent to be obedient to those things and to live by his word. I believe that we've been called to study for a few weeks leading up to Passover. Uh, Passover is going to be March 27th. We're going to have a Passover meal here. Um, I really, really, really need to know today, we're going to, uh, just so we get enough food and, and the setup for the tables and all that stuff, but if you can let me or Renetta know today, please, it's very, uh, we're going to have to make today the cutoff, okay? So if you want to come to that, you're welcome to come, but you got to let us know right now so that we can get enough stuff. It's hard to order some, we got to order some of that stuff, but we're going to do that, and then I just kind of want to work through some topics going up to Passover <clears throat> to see how, whether or not it is relevant for us today. Whether or not what's written in Exodus is still relevant today, 2021. We're, we're uh, let's see, that was 14, the Exodus was in 1440-something B.C. So 1,400 years before Christ, and now we, here we are 2,000 plus after Christ. We're talking about 3,500 years ago this came. Actually, 3,333 years ago, they've been celebrating Passover for that long, the Jews have. This is an unusual year. It's a, a, a four uh, perfect numbers there, three, 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 three. So, kind of interesting. Amen. But uh, so, so we just went through Exodus. Not I can't. You have to tell me, Jed. It's been a couple years ago, maybe. Has it been two years ago? Maybe we were working on Exodus. But there's so much going on in the Book of Exodus that I was talking to Dave this morning. The references to the things going on in Exodus are carried on throughout the New Testament, throughout the rest of the Bible. They're referred to all the time, and I've told you before, pretty much if you see a date in the Bible, it relates to one of the feast days. Otherwise, they don't really mention them. It'll say on the something, something day of Nisan, it's, what, it's one of the feasts. And they always use the feast days to, to relate time, to reckon time amongst the people. So when the people in the New Testament read it, they're like, oh, yeah, that would have been a feast day. They would have known automatically as Jews. We have trouble picking that up because it's not where we exist in our Gentile minds. So on the Wednesday night, on Wednesday night, we started on who are God's people. And like I said, the Jews, the obvious answer is the Jews are God's people. He said that he chose them. He chose them out of Egypt. He chose them way back when he called Abram the Hebrew. That's the first time you see someone called something related to the Jews. But the Jews, as far as Israel, that doesn't come till Jacob. When Jacob's name is changed from cheating weasel, basically, in the English translation, to one who contends with God, to Israel. His first name was Supplanter. And then it's changed to, that's what Supplanter means. Uh, but uh, cheating weasel, that's my translation of Supplanter. 
But he changed his name to Israel. But before that, Abram was called the Hebrew. Abram the Hebrew. That's the first time that you see this separate group of people that God has a plan for. And so he definitely chooses them to accomplish his purpose on earth. He has a special people that he wants to accomplish a special work through on earth, and that's the Israelites or the Jews. So if the Jews are the only ones that God cares for, then we got a problem. We're, we're, we're wasting our time here. But he makes an opportunity for those who are not Jews to be grafted in. You see that in the New Testament, and we're going to see that today. The called out ones, the Jews and the Greeks. You would be a Greek because you're not a Jew. You're a Gentile. You're a non-Jew. Unless you are a Jew, then God bless you. You're doubly blessed because you are a Jew and you know the Messiah. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be here. And so you can be of the called out, and we'll see in Exodus that there's a name for those people, the mixed multitude, right? The mixed multitude. So the way we see that is in Exodus 12, 38, it talks about the mixed multitude that goes out from them also, goes out with them also. But we're going to start just in Exodus 1. We're going to look at some little verses all the way from Exodus 1 through Exodus 12, which is where the Passover is instituted. And God's doing a tremendous work between the two types of people that exist on earth. There's only two kinds of people on earth. You might have got confused there when you saw those people from Botswana. You thought that was a kind of people. There's only two kinds. There's the kind that know God, and there's the kind that don't. There's the kind that serve God, and there's the kind that don't. There's the kind that love God, and there's the kind that is rebellious against God. That's all there is. There's only one kind of man, mankind. But within mankind... You know, we call them races, but really there's only two races, those that know God and those that don't. That's the two races. But we're all one race, mankind. That's it. You can be different hybrids of that race, different colors, different flavors, but the reality is you either know God or you don't, and that's all there is. So those that know God uh, are from the time of Joseph. So we got to go to Joseph and see where Joseph ends up in at the very end of Genesis, he ends up in Egypt, and he does a great work in Egypt. The picture of Joseph, I want you to see this today too, is the picture of an intercessor, a mediator. And I'm going to show you that today, you can be that same person. You can be an intercessor or a mediator, just like Joseph was. So the story begins with Joseph arriving in Egypt as a slave 400 years before this day that Exodus occurs. He was well-regarded. He was highly thought of, and he was a blessing to Egypt. He kept God from destroying Egypt. There was a great drought coming, a great uh, time of famine, and because of Joseph's being tuned into the one true God, God Almighty, he was able to talk to Pharaoh and tell him, the king of that time, and tell him, this is what's coming, here's what you need to do. He said, well, you seem to have the inside track with God, take charge. And there's a river today in Egypt, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, that's called the River of Joseph. The word, the name Joseph is not an Egyptian name. And, of course, they're going to quibble with this if you went to an Egyptian and asked them. But, well, you know, why do we got a river named the River of Joseph? I'll tell you why. Because Joseph built a river there. It was a blessing to Egypt to have, it's in Cairo, to have a river that entered into their city. They needed it for this drought time, and Joseph prepared that. I'm going to tell you something else. You can research this. You can call me crazy if you want. But apparently, in the Smithsonian, back in the 30s and 40s, I believe, when they were kind of doing the research and doing the discovery of the Grand Canyon, it's going to blow you away a little bit, they found Egyptian artifacts. They found Egyptian artifacts in the Grand Canyon in the United States of America with Joseph's name on it. 
Joseph was so powerful, you can go look that up, go look to Dr. Google, he'll tell you whether I'm telling you the truth or not. There's YouTube videos about it, so very interesting. He had such power and prestige that he was crossing the oceans to get supplies to care for Egypt way, 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 way back there. He was a very powerful man, and he blessed, Egypt was blessed because of his work. But it says there, Exodus 1, 8, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. The blessings that came from God to the nation of Egypt came through Joseph. But this new king, because of arrogance or ignorance, one, he didn't recognize that it was because of the work of this man, Joseph. And it says that the people of Israel had really grown there. It says, verse 7, but the children of Israel were fruitful increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. The other place, there's two other places where these words are used. One's in Genesis, uh, where it tells, where Adam's told to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And the other is Noah, where he's told to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. The Israelites are being obedient in that. They're being fruitful, they're multiplying, and they're filling the earth right here. It's a fantastic thing of people being obedient to what God's telling them to do. How they end up there, they should have been in the promised land by this time already, but God is not stymied by the actions of men. So Joseph goes there, Jacob follows him there, even though he was told by God not to leave the promised land. But he goes to Egypt to avoid the drought. 400 years later, they're in the slavery situation there. I remind you, as usual, that all Scripture is written as an example to us, it says in 1 Corinthians, and also that all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So this, what we're going to read today, is going to help us develop and become more mature and more prepared for doing good work. So this Scripture would be, be a really good time to point out that Egypt was blessed because there was people of God in its midst. These were people that God desired to bless because he desired to bless these people, these believing people, then the nation as a whole was blessed as well. By blessing them with large numbers of offspring and big herds of cattle and so on, and the Egyptians, instead of looking at them as a blessing to their nation, they looked at them as a problem. And so what happens... Uh, well, let me see. Let me get, not get too far away, ahead. But when God's people are doing what they're supposed to be doing, working as unto the Lord, serving one another in love, seeking the Lord with their whole hearts, caring for the distressed among them, God will bless them and in turn bless the nation that exists around them. I think this is applicable to us today as believers in Christ. If you want to see, one reason I think you can love, love Crossville, and I hear people dog Crossville all the time. Well, where I came from, this place, Podunk, where Crossville has a lot of believing people in it. And I believe that Crossville is blessed because of the large number of believing people it has in it. It has its flaws. It has sinful people in it. It has drug heads in it. It has all kind of people in it. It has every kind of sin that could go on anywhere else goes on in Crossville. But I'm telling you, there's a large number of believing people in Crossville, and overall, Crossville, this whole region, Cookville, Crossville, has a lot of blessings our economy has remained solid here when a lot of economies around the country have not. We've always had an abundance of food here. We have an abundance of water here. And if you don't think that's a blessing, uh, go to Arizona. <laughs> go to West Texas. You can take as long a shower as you want. In California, you had to go like every three days. You couldn't water your yard, whatever. 
We have, we are abundantly blessed with water here. We get abundant rain. People complain about how much rain we got. Rain, the Bible says, is a blessing from God. It's a joy. You should, re, you should do the pastoral Elias. It starts raining. We're driving down the road. He makes me stop the car. He gets out and he stands in the rain. I'm like, get in the car, dummy. People don't do that when it rains, you know, get back in the car. Anyway, he was so excited to see rain. He lives in a desert. Anyway. We're very blessed here. I believe part of the blessing is because the people of God have a large influence here. But something happened. All it took for Egypt to lose their blessing was for them to turn on the people of God in their midst. And that's exactly what happened. And again, it seems very culturally significant to us today as you see what's going on at the federal level where they're starting to put the clamps on Christians, Christians speaking, Christians preaching, Christians doing what Christians do. Uh, but God always provides a rescue for his chosen remnant. So since the time of the Exodus, when the Jews escaped, Egypt has never regained its former glory. Never has. It does, there is some Christians in Egypt today, but not very many. It's, they are persecuted there, but not like in some of the other uh, Arabic nations around them. Egyptians don't consider themselves Arabs. They consider themselves Egyptians, a different variety, but I hate to tell them they're just men. So the king begins by enslaving the Jews. Exodus 1, 9 through 11. Look what he does. So this king grows, now arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, verse 8. Verse 9, he said to the people, look. The people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. They weren't, but he perceived them that way because they were so prolific. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. He didn't want them to leave the land. Did you catch that? That's the workforce. Everywhere I went, this is uh, no slight on Filipinos. I've been a lot of places, especially when I was in the military back in the day. And I'm telling you, you could go anywhere and there would be a Filipino. We were in the middle of the desert in Saudi Arabia and a group of Filipinos drove up in a car. I'm talking desert. As far as you can see, there's not a hill. Not, they drove up in the car, opened the back and started selling hamburgers. I'm like, where did you jokers come from? It's a, Saudi Arabia, what the heck, you know? I mean, everywhere we went, went to Thailand, Filipinos, go to Japan, Filipinos, Korea, Jap you know, whatever. Hong Kong, they were the service industry of of the the world over there um you don't you don't kick the filipinos out they're the ones doing the work if you don't want to do the work you want to keep them around and that's exactly what's going on here this king's like man we got to get these guys under control where we can maintain them as workers but they can't they don't feel free enough to leave because if they leave we're going to be in a pinch because then we're going to have to do the work therefore they set taskmasters task masters over them to afflict them with their burdens and they built for pharaoh's supply cities pithom and ramses but the more they afflicted them the more they multiplied and grew and they were in dread of the children of israel so the egyptians made the children of israel serve with rigor they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and all manners of service in the field all their service in which they made them serve was with rigor they were beating them down if i could show you one thing here you should see how fast it went from the awareness of the king of Egypt to seeing this group of people within them, this worker bee bunch of people, these hard, diligent workers that are making it happen. When he recognizes that, look how quickly it went from recognizing that to making them subservient to actually putting them to killing their children into putting them into complete slavery and bondage. It's like that. 
I don't want to get off track. Like I said, I'm trying to get somewhere, but it shows how quickly a nation whose leadership is in rebellion to God, how quickly they will turn against God's people um, in order to control. Whatever that means, I think one of the biggest, blackest parts of men's hearts is the desire to control other men. It's just what we want to do. Keith says, I'm a, a micromanager. I was telling him, but I was like, saw right here, Keith. And he's like, man, there's a line and there's an X and you're pointing to the line. He goes, I know where to saw. You know, I was like, okay, sorry, man. We'll just cut right there while you're cutting anyway. And so uh, it's just, a, it's what we are. It's what we are. We don't want things to get out of our control. We tend to hold on to it. It's just what we are. It's just a black part of us, a dark part of us. So how, what's incredible, we need to think about the same thing. So we've got 330 million people in the United States. We've got 545 of us telling us what to do. How's that possible? But the same thing happened in Egypt. A very few in authority controls a large number of people by wicked laws and in use of power of the sword to enforce it. And so these people that were living comfortably within the ranks, same thing happened in Germany, World War II. One of the issues with Hitler was looking at the Jews. They're like, how are they so dang prosperous? We're kind of struggling here. They got all the gold. And I think I told you this a couple weeks ago. They put them in POW camps, took all their gold from them, and in six months, the Jews had all the gold again. The Germans were going to the people in the POW camps to get loans. They're like, how can they do this? Stuff? They are so prosperous. And so instead of seeing them as like a benefit, they're like, we got to kill them. So anyway, it's what, it's what happens. So the effect on God's people that this had is exactly the God. This is what we got to see. The effect of this persecution, oppression, that happened to God's people right here, seems terrible, it has the effect, the exact effect that God wanted for them. It's hard for us to see that, but that's exactly what God wanted to happen. And the reason was, because they got so dang comfortable in a wicked land. I mean, if everything's going your way, we can put up with a lot. As long as, I mean, as believers in the United States, we can put up with a lot. You can make a lot of laws out there. As long as we're not missing any meals, you know, we still got our wheels, we still go on vacation. We still take our kids to school. We still get all the groceries we want. We can put up with a lot. Go ahead and make your laws, whatever. Yeah, that's a shame they made that law, but I still got my food. I still got my car. I still got my house. I still got my kids. And, and that's what's going on here. They were so comfortable living in this fallen world, and God's like, this is not where you belong. You are a chosen people, and you are designated for a promised land, but you've gotten comfortable in a wicked land, and you're like... You don't want to leave. I already told you that you're supposed to be in Canaan. But you're hanging out here in Egypt. So let me make it so miserable in Egypt that you don't want to stay here anymore. I got just the idea. Egyptians hate them. <laughs> and it ain't long, and they're like, okay, let's go. I don't want to be here. It says in Exodus 2.23, this is, a, it's kind of funny the way it's written. I don't think it's intended to be funny, but it's kind of humorous. It says, now it happened in the process of time that the kingdom king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. They cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. Like I said, men tend to, I've told you this, you've heard it here, I don't know, maybe Jed said it, maybe Dave said it, but told you before. In good times, people forget God. In hard times, people cry out to God. I was talking to Pastor Elias, did I tell you this last week? 
I can't remember. I was talking to Pastor Elias, and he, and he said, uh, he said, it's been very difficult here. And he asked for some money for some groceries. I sent him some grocery money. Uh, it's been very, for a, for a year, they've not had an offering at their church because they've not been allowed to meet there. But he said, man, people are coming to Christ like crazy. But we're really hungry. If you could send some money, that'd be good. You know, there's no offering at church. There's no income coming in. The people are suffering at large. But God is moving because of the persecution that's happening for no reason. God's moving and people are coming to Christ. So because of the persecution, people understand that they have a need for Christ. They need, I need something. God, you got to help me. And he says he inclines his ear to me and he heard my cry. So men forget God when times are good, but when their neck is in the noose, all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute, there's one in heaven who hears my cry. I should call out to him. We should cry out to God always, but particularly when we're in, in peril. God usually has to remove every hope, every human hope from men to get their attention. I don't know why it's that way. It's like you having to take your kid's cell phone to get their attention. You know, they're being bad, they're doing stuff wrong, give me your cell phone. <laughs> you know, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, sorry, daddy. Yes, sir. No, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. All of a sudden they're washing the dishes again. You're like, you got to do something to increase the peril to get the attention of when times are good, they can't hear. But what's funny to me is that it says in the process of time, God began making them uncomfortable years ago, but he's turning it up a notch because they're not getting uncomfortable fast enough. I just think it's interesting. It just, so, it just happened, it just so happened, that in the process of time, it just happened to happen, that God's working at his pace, he's doing his thing, he's on his schedule. I can't speed it down, I can't slow it up. But it just so happens that as time passes, this bad king gets in there, really starts putting the herd on the, the Israelites, and he's working on a bunch of people to make them tough. Psalm 115.3, it says, Our God is in heaven he does whatever he pleases. You got to remember that. When things happen to you that are positive or negative, God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. We get a new president. You don't like it. God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. We get a new president. You like it. God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. They make new laws. You like it. God is in heaven. He does whatever. It's just, that's the answer. Why do these things happen to me? Because God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. We are his sheep, people of his pasture. He's the guy. He's the one in charge. You didn't even use that, that light of a word. He's the king. He's the master. And he does whatever he pleases. He does whatever he pleases to you. And he's working on making a bunch of people tough right here. They're going to need to be tough to go through what they're fixing to go through here. There's an old time he's saying, I was telling Dave this the other, the other day, but hard times make for tough men. Tough men make for good times. Good times make soft men. Soft men make for hard times. You think about the climate in the United States. Look what the founding fathers did back in the day. Those were some tough people. Go read 1775 and see what those guys endured. They said their clothes were so ripped off them that they didn't have underwear or anything. You could basically see right through them, and it's minus degrees, and they're out there fixing in Valley Forge. You remember the picture of Valley Forge? And in, and in Washington crossing the Delaware, he's the only one with clothes on practically. They didn't have Gore-Tex. They didn't have polar fleece. They were freezing their booties off. And they were going out there and doing what it took to make, the, to make the country what it was. Tough men make for good times. By the 
by the early mid-1800s, Abraham Lincoln said the country was so wicked, he didn't believe that God could postpone the return of Christ one more day because of how evil we were. Then we have this revival in the 1800s. What happens? Tough times in the 1860s made some hard men. The hard men worked hard. We have a big revival in the 1880s into the 1890s and early 1900s. What happened? Made for soft men. Then we have the time that led up to the prohibition, the roaring 20s. Bunch of soft men. What happened? The Great Depression. Hard times. Those hard times prepared men to go into World War II and, uh, and made them tough. And they were ready to endure that suffering that went on in there and the millions that died and so on. And after World War II, those hard men came back and they worked like dogs. And we're seeing three, four generations later from that World War II, a bunch of really soft-minded, soft men couldn't fight their way out of a wet paper sack. That's where we're at now. But times like these, these soft, time, these soft men times make for harder times. And in those harder times, God will speak to his people and toughen them up. And they'll rise up either through persecution or suffering or whatever happens. And eventually, it's likely that we could potentially have good times again. If the Lord doesn't return, if this isn't the end, we'll have to see. But these Israelites had a way of life that they'd become comfortable with. They had become soft in Egypt. And God's like, all right, it's time to tighten you jokers up. Enjoy making bricks. He didn't want them to desire to stay in Egypt. He didn't want them to have this surrounding of idolatry and sensuality that is all that Egypt was about. I was telling Dave, I, in, the, in a lot of the hieroglyphics in there, uh, as they learned to read hieroglyphics, some of them they didn't have to work too hard to figure out what they were saying because it was pornography. Like more than 50% of the hieroglyphics that they have uncovered and stuff is basically pornography. It's very obvious what it is. It was a very sensual culture. They had all these idols they're doing their, they're doing their parts with, doing their uh, whatever, worship of. And God's wanting to get those people out of there and giving them a desire for the promised land that he'd prepared for them. But he can't take them there until they're completely sick of this wicked culture that they exist in. And they're not going to get sick of it until it's so miserable there that they can't stand it. So it's hard to believe that God ordains suffering. We don't want to think about that. But he ordains suffering in order that he can bless us. Because we can't let go of this until we get so miserable with it that, I mean, how many times at the mission we've heard these people, man, I had to get all the way at the rock bottom, didn't have nothing left, and then there was nowhere to do but look up, and there was God. That's right. I'm going to make you pay. The weight of God's pinky finger is more than a man can bear. And he crushes you down until you're nothing. You're like, God, help me. He's like, okay. He's just waiting. Look how tough they became. By Exodus 5, Moses is already going to Exodus 5.20. Moses is going to the, the Pharaoh, and he's like, here's what's fixing to happen. We can do this the, the hammer or the feather, the easy way or the hard way. You let my people go, everything's going to be cool. If you don't, it's going to be doom on you. And so he, he goes to the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh says, well, uh, you think you're leaving? Let me tell you like this, bud. You're not only going to make these people go make the same number of bricks, but you're going to go get your own straw and then make the bricks. And this was the response of the people to Moses. Moses comes out, he's like, well, that didn't go as planned. I thought he would just let us go. God told us to, that he would let us go. And he goes, uh, the people come to him, he's like, hey, thanks, Moses. 
Let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us an abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Thanks a lot, pal. Now Pharaoh really hates us. He just disliked us before. Now he hates us. Have you ever... <laughs> so Dave and I were in Zambia and the, the president there is like, you guys need to get to work. It was good to get government jobs. Now it's time to go. So everybody's going to go make their own living. And everybody there is making bricks. And they were selling these brick molds. And everywhere we went, there was these huge fields of bricks that these poor people were slaves. It was hotter than fire there. And I imagine it's extra hot and fiery in the summer. And they would get the bricks. They would make them all. They'd lay them out till they were kind of semi-baked and kind of semi-hard then they would stack them a certain way pile a whole bunch of wood on top of them and burn the wood and then it would harden them into bricks and they're making everything out there and everybody and their brothers making bricks out there you can look it up on youtube half the world half of the third world is got little kids 12 13 10 8 years old stomping around in mud and then older kids digging it up throwing in these forms pack 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 turning it over and just fields of brick and they do it every day 12 hours a day they don't have an umbrella there's no one of those fans with the little spritzer things blowing on them they're just out there making bricks those are some tough people there's no cancel culture there there's no one's mistreating them it's just what you got to do you do that or you starve there's no one in the United States been born in the last 150 years that's had to suffer the kind of suffering that the third world has to suffer every day or that the Israelites were suffering. It's part of the wickedness of man that we abuse one another, but I'm telling you, we've got it really good here. These people are being whipped, driven with rods. It was brutal, and they're making bricks all day. And when you get done making bricks, then you get to go home and try to take care of your household. Take care of your animals. Take care of your family. Your life ain't that bad, I'm telling you. They had, it, they had to be tough. God was making them tough because he had a tough work for them. Look at chapter 6, though. God starts to display to them a different side of himself. There's a, it's, it's tough being a daddy. I mean, some of you guys with the younger kids and stuff. So when they're real little, you can really pour the love on them, right? And then they go through this phase where you've got to make them, you know, behave themselves so you have to change from sweet daddy that holds them in their lap to cruel oppressor daddy that has to beat the fur off them to get them to do anything and then as they get older you can kind of as and i'm just starting to get there with the kids now and they're getting in their te late teens and 20s where you can kind of befriend them again and, and that's what god is doing right here he begins to real reveal himself in a new way six two god spoke to moses and said to him i am the lord or basically, the, I, the am is not there. I, the Lord, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, creator, all-powerful God. But by my name, Lord. I'm changing my name. By my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I want you to know me as Yahweh. I'm going to give you a new name that you can call me by. You can call me Father. How about that? I'm no longer just going to be the crushing, all-powerful God, but I'm going to let you in on this. You can call me Daddy. I'm going to give you a new name for me. I was not known to them. I've also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. I'm going to, I'm going to bless you so specially that you're not going to be able to deny how good I am. 
Give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, I say to the children of Israel, listen to this, six times, or I'm sorry, seven times, he's going to say this word. I, the Lord God, I will bring you out from underneath the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. Then you shall know that I, the Lord your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I, the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of the anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. They couldn't see it. I'm changing my name. I'm going to be more loving to you. I'm going to be more fatherly to you. I'm going to care for you. You're going to see that I am, that I have the power to do all these things. Seven times, the perfect number, he tells him, I will. And when God wills, he does. And when he does, the promises, the blessings, they go with that. He'll do whatever he says he does. What he says whatever, he will do whatever he says he will do, and he does, as we know. And so God begins to absolutely hammer the Egyptians with plagues. The plagues serve a number of purposes that I'm reading through here. I'm like, well, why? You know, there's a, no, there's a couple reasons. We're going to get into the reasons next week, but there's a couple reasons that we have the plagues and that the plagues are the plagues that they are. And, uh, but the, the reason that we're going to cover today is why did God put the plagues on them? Here's why. The plagues, number one, were to make the land desolate so that the Jews would realize they'd have a much better chance of survival anywhere but there. When the plagues get done, there's no grain, there's no animals, the water's undrinkable, it's not the, I mean, it's covered with lice, flies, frogs, rotted frogs, whatever. It's not the place to be anymore. The second reason is to make the Jews a stench in the nostrils of the Egyptians. So first, I'm going to make the land unappealing. Next, I'm going to make you even more unappealing. Those people are going to hate your guts by the time you leave here. They're not going to try to keep you. They're not going to try and control you. You're going to have a, bod, a bad body odor, and they're not going to want to have anything to do with you. Number three is to take away the economic power of Egypt so they couldn't spend too much of its time in pursuing them. They had to rebuild their own economy. If, if you have no food, you have no groceries, you have no meat, uh, your, your buildings are trashed because of the hail, uh, the last thing on your mind is worrying about what somebody else is doing. You've got to recover. Number four is to demonstrate the power of the only true God. And number five is to mock the gods of the Egyptians. Like I said, each plague has a direct inference of the weaknesses of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. So, but all these plagues had one more effect or one more purpose. It was to demonstrate to some of those of Egypt and of other nationalities that lived within Egypt. So, so the reason people come to, they always go to New York City, which I don't understand that, because the, the real money in the United States of America is not in New York City. It seems like it would be because pro, it was once prosperous. But everybody who comes from other countries are like, I'm going to go to New York City. But So everybody wants to come to New York City because they see that as the land of promise. I could go there, I can work hard, I can get a job, I can make more money than I ever made in Sudan or whatever, and I can, I can live bigger than I've ever lived in my life. I won't want for food and so on. This was Egypt back in the day. It was the New York City. 
So people are coming from across the Mediterranean and then down, if you look at your Bible map in the back, you know, they can just come across the top of where Israel is now from Iran, Iraq over there and swoop across there and, and get into Egypt that way. It was the place to be. It had a lot of things going on. And so there was a mixed multitude of people. People from other nations were there, not just Egyptians, not just Jews. And so one of the purposes of these things happening, these plagues happening, was so that these different people from all these other nationalities could see that there really was a God of creation, a God Almighty more powerful than any God or any imagination of men. It was making an opportunity to, for people to find God. It gave them a desire to know this God who was more powerful than anything that they could have come around. It gave them a desire for that and a desire for his people. I want to be attached. The reason everybody used to follow the Chicago Bulls is because they used to win all the time. Go find a Chicago Bulls fan now. They don't win squat. You know, people used to like the Celtics. They used to win. People don't care nothing about the Celtics now. They don't win. It's, it's the same thing. When the, when the team is winning, you want to be on that team. That was some basketball plugs for my three basketball watchers right there. But um, the, the, they want to be on the winning team. We want to attach themselves. We always want to attach ourselves to the winning team. And these people are like, man, these Jews, all these things are happening to all these nations, but they're not happening to the Jews. Uh, let's see. So the mixed multitude. So God makes a place for the mixed multitude. God, the Bible says, is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. He sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He's making a way. God doesn't get joy from crushing a group of people or another. He gets joy from people finding reconciliation with him. That's what he wants. He will do what it takes for men to become aware of him. But he doesn't get joy from destroying people. Uh, Romans 1, 5, and 6, it says, Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called or the called out of Jesus Christ. That's interesting. In the New Testament, you have the ability to be called out of Egypt and called into Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 24, But to those who are the called out ones, both Jews and Greeks, and it goes on to say the same thing. You have the ability to be called out in the mixed multitude and become grafted in with the Jews. We have a very Jewish faith. Jesus was a Jew. Sorry if you didn't know that. Surprise. He was sent by God to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Paul. Peter. God is so gracious. He sends Moses back time and again to try to reach Pharaoh. Pharaoh at any time could have repented. Did you know that? He had the opportunity to repent and just let him go. And just assume if he had done that immediately, God would have blessed his nation. If he had done it halfway through, his nation would have been more blessed than it was by making him run the gamut of everything to the death of his own son. Uh, but... Uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh in a very gentle way at first. He's like, let my people go. God says, I mean, I'm throwing my snake on the ground there. It's going to eat your snakes, and you're going to see that God's all-powerful. Just let him go. And I was like, well, anybody can make snakes that eat other snakes. And time and time, it just gets harsher and harsher and harsher, and Pharaoh gets harder and harder and harder. It's just how people are. Exodus 10.3. How long, Moses says to him, 
How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? And that's a great question to ask anyone that's struggling with accepting Christ. Dave and I were at the rescue mission a while back. Dave's got his favorite chair illustration, you know, of, of the faith of the chair. You know, we can look at the chair, see that the chair is there. It's obviously strong enough to support us. And, you're, and you can look at the chair as well and see the chair and just and know that it's going to support you, but you don't ever sit in the chair. And we're telling this girl about Christ and her need for Christ and the fact that she's lost and, and all this without. And she goes, yeah, I need to think about that. I need to talk about that. You're right. That's what I need to do is what she said, something like that. I guess you're right. That's what I need to do. And Dave's like, well, sit in the chair. And she stood beside the chair. She stood beside it and just stared at the chair. He's like, just sit in the chair. It's got, you, if you got faith, you sit in the chair, it'll hold you up. And she wouldn't sit in that chair. <laughs> she wouldn't sit in the chair. And finally, I said, what's, what's keeping you from accepting Christ? What is the thing that you're, you would rather have in your hand than have Christ, than have eternal life, than have um, uh, his riches in glory? She goes, I don't know. And I was like, don't, you know, today's the day, right? And she did eventually, you know, humble herself. But so many people... All right, here, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? i got to tell Zach's story, too, while we're telling stories. Last week, Dave, so Ray brought some, some little sayings in, and one of them said, how many people wait till the 11th hour? You know, they're, they're, they put off accepting Christ till the 11th hour, but then they end up dying at 1030. And Zach's working on a job or something, and the lady's kind of giving him a hard time. He's like, you know what? You know, you need to know Christ. You need to go to church. You need to, to seek him. Why she, she goes, I don't need none of that stuff. You know, whatever. She's kind of tough or something. And Zach goes, well, how many people have waited for the, you know, 11th hour to make that decision for Christ and then died at 1030? And she was like, I'm done talking to you. <laughs> and goes back in the house, you know. Instead of just humbling herself, if she just humbles herself and turns from her wicked ways, repents, she would rather go in her house angry and hateful against God and rebellious against God, then seek his face. That's Pharaoh. And it's not... God sends these mediators. He sent these mediators throughout time. He sent Joseph as a mediator between God and Egypt. There was mediators before. There was Melchizedek was a mediator. There was a sacrificial lamb that went from the Garden of Eden all the way till you know, the burning of, 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 of Israel there in 70 AD. There was Job, a mediator for his children and for his friends. The apostles, the prophets, the judges, Joshua, Moses. There's always been mediators. The mediators are there. And they're speaking between God and men. And they're trying to convince the pharaohs of the world. Look at Matthew 23. They're trying to convince the pharaohs of the world to repent how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me matthew 23 31 jesus talking to the pharisees therefore you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets fill up then the measure of your father's guilt serpents brood of vipers how can you escape the condemnation of hell therefore indeed i sent you prophets Wise men and scribes, some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. 
How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, because uh, I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For some reason, the hard heart of the Israelites has not changed from this day to today. They're still God's chosen people, but it's not just them that reject God. You can go out, I promise you, I got those Bible tracts over there, please take one, give it to somebody, talk to them about it. But I'm telling you, I want you to do this. I want you to be encouraged to take one of those tracts and deliver it to someone today, this week, whatever, before next Sunday. Take three. But I'm telling you, for a hundred that you'll give out, for a hundred conversations that you have, you might have one that will humble themselves and, and come to God through your witness. But that doesn't mean you'd stop being an intercessor. That doesn't mean you stop being a mediator. The problem here was in Exodus, back in Exodus, was that the Israelites had the minds of slaves. They were tough in body. The Marine Corps had a saying, easy to be hard, hard to be smart. And these guys, they would just, you know, charge ahead, you know. But make bad calls in doing it, and you're charging ahead and break your ankle, then you're pretty worthless. They were hard, they were tough, but they didn't have faith. The mixed multitude had more faith than the Israelites did in a lot of cases. And in this particular case, though the Israelites followed Moses out, the mixed multitude showed more faith than the Israelites did because they're attaching themselves to a people that aren't their people. It took the dying off of the slave generation before the next generation of Israelites, the slave-minded, I should say, generation of Israelites, it took them dying off before they could truly enter the promised land because their mind was so corrupted by what they knew from the past. But the mixed multitude, and this is you, you don't realize this about yourself. I got another uh, one over there about how precious we are in the sight of God. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And the one from last week was how precious our faith was. They're both over there. You can read them today, or you can look them up on our, on our uh, email or website or whatever. But uh, what the mixed multitude realized was they were nobodies, and God was giving them a chance to be a somebody. They didn't have anybody that cared for them. There was no God coming over there and, and rescuing them. Right? And you as a Gentile, do you realize, I told you this last week maybe, but do you realize how special it is that God reached down his hand and he rescued you? When you, when you can recognize how great that is, you can have a hope that maybe the Israelites couldn't have here. The, the, the mixed multitude were never anybody's people, but now they could be God's people. You were, this sounds bad, you were a nobody. You are nobody's people. But God saw you. It says, when, kind of like the Israelites, when you were laying in a pool of blood, and he brought you back to life, and he nursed you at his breast. That's what he did for the Israelites. That's what he does for you. When he rescues you from sin and death, he takes you from death, and he makes you alive. He takes a person that's not of the Jewish line, and he gives them the same inheritance as the Israelites. Joint heirs with Christ, brothers of Christ, sons and daughters of the Most High. That's an amazing thing. One to whom God would provide every need according to his riches and mercies. I want to talk about the intercessor mediator thing. We're not going to talk about it this morning. But God gives a word to Moses, and he sends Moses 
to go talk to them. God uses men, that's how it works. God uses men, people, he can use you as a woman, men and women, people, children, to speak in this age for him. So you read his word, you hear preaching, he delivers it to your spirit, you store it in there till you have the opportunity to pour it out on someone else. You should be like a, a water sprinkler, and you should be sprinkling the Spirit of God everywhere you go. You should be sprinkling His Word. It's, it's unlimited. It's free. All you want. Two for a dollar. It's free. Cheap. You can just give out all you want, and He'll refill you. He can refill you through His Word. It's in there. It's an abundant supply. Rivers of living water pouring out of the innermost parts of the man. It's, it's, it's all you can eat buffet. We're bad not to do that. But he has a, del a deliverer, a message deliverer in Moses. And that's why we don't come here week after week and just sit in front of an empty altar, a bunch of people sitting there waiting for some kind of spirit to fall and, and speak to us. We come, there's a messenger, me, Jed, Dave, whoever, and it comes down through us, whatever God spoke that week that we read, we dwelled on, we made sure as best we could that this is the word that God has for us this week. Then we deliver it to you, and then you're to take it not in giving praise to the person that sits here. You're to take it as a word from God and then go and deliver the word to the nations. Amen. We're the vessel. We're the conduit. You speak through him. Then it goes to you. Then you take it from there and you go out there with it. And that's how it's supposed to work. You're not supposed to kill the messenger either. Jesus was specifically speaking about that if you have disagreements with the messenger. But the other thing is, do you think the mixed message the mixed multitude cared what their job was amongst the Israelites? They didn't care. They were so glad to be rescued from Egypt where there's lice and frogs and blood and death and whatever. They were like, let's go. Hey, man, you're going to carry the slop buckets. Okay, it's better being in Egypt. Yeah, you're going to carry the trumpet for the actual trumpet player. Okay, give me the trumpet. You know, you're going to carry the tent pole. Okay, give me the tent pole we got in our minds that we have to be in this particular spot of service. Otherwise, I ain't doing it. Forget that. That's, well, that's his job. It's your job. You are an intercessor. You are put on earth to be an intercessor between God and men, to be praying for men, to be witnessing to men, to be evangelizing to men, to be doing whatever you can do to serve men, to see being a minister of the gospel as a blessing and not as a drudgery. If it's a drudgery to you, then reevaluate making your calling and election sure because one of the mixed multitude that's been taken up by grace into God's people should have such joy and vigor and zeal in doing God's work that he shouldn't care where he's being used. Some people are the toenail. That's part of it. It's important. You'll see when you drop something on your foot without the toenail. It's important to be the toenail. It's important to be the eyelash. Whatever your part is in the body, it's important. But it's more important to use that part. Amen. What about that part where the Bible says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift? What's the gift? The gift isn't here in Egypt. The gift is eternal life. We've got we to gotta grab onto that. How can I serve him with everything that I am and everything that I have? The man or woman of the multitude who is serving the Most High is not to be worshipped. They're merely the picture of the mediator. We should do a better job of being the picture. They're the vessel that's to be used and to be used up for his glory. I was telling somebody last week uh, that it had been hurt by the actions of another. 
that Jesus allowed himself to be completely used up by men. Do you know what? He didn't react to the people that abused him. But he went out of his way to tell them of the love of God that he had for them, that he was sent for them. But he didn't, he didn't say, I can't believe you're going. I didn't do, you know, Paul, he was like, oh, you can't beat me? I'm a Roman citizen. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus like, bring it on. That's all you got? Why don't you make a crown of thorns, put that on my head. Why don't you whip me on my back and tear all the meat off till you could see my organs sticking out of my back. He allowed men to treat him any way they wanted. The foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He wasn't worried about whether or not people would invite him into their homes and take care of him. He could sleep in a nice soft bed at night. He He allowed himself in the 33 years to be used completely up by men however they chose. And it's hard for us to do that. We feel like we've been took advantage of if somebody uses us or abuses us or says something terrible about us, and we're all frustrated by it. But the reality is, if we want to be in the image of Christ, then guess what? Be prepared to be used up. We say we want to be a vessel, jars of clay. You know, we like the little band or whatever. It's a good idea. Yeah, well, then get to be used by a jar of clay because the jar of clay, that's where you put the waste at. So be ready to be abused like a jar of clay and not like a fine item in a home. It's tough to bring this home, oh, Gentile believer friends. Recognize that God has made a place for you among his people. Be proud, be proud in this, that you have been called out. God God saw you. He saw you. He was not unaware of your sufferings. Be grateful to God that he called you out and you made, he made you his. He made an opportunity for you to hear the gospel at some point and for you to be drawn to Christ. And in, in your wisdom, in that moment, you did. And now allow him to use you any way he will. The mixed multitude has more impact right now until the time that Christ returns and Israel is once again listed up, lifted up as his chosen people. The mixed multitude has had more impact for Christ than Israel has. That's just how it is. No slight on Israel. So as part of the mixed multitude, make it your mission to do the will of God. You're now among God's people. And the nations at large are dependent on God's people doing what they're supposed to do. If we want the United States to be blessed, then God's people need to be doing God's will in this nation, and God will bless this nation. So we can know him by name now in a more familial way as Father. He's not unapproachable, but he's our Father, and we are brothers with Christ. So shouldn't our lives better reveal uh, what it is that we are as the called out in the mixed multitude. Be grateful for that. Father, this morning as we have studied your word, Lord, I pray that the word that is spoken is the word that you had for us today. I pray that these that are here would recognize their preciousness as they stand before you, Lord, that, that you save their tears in the bottle, that you keep the prayers of the saints, that they're like a sweet aroma to you, that their names are written in the Lamb's book of life, Lord, if they know you, then you have a place for them. Father, help us to see how wicked this world is. Open our eyes that we can see how terrible this place is so that it becomes a stench in our nostrils, so we don't try to hold on to it so tightly and so that we would be more diligent to share the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ with others rather than keeping it to ourselves, Lord. Father, I pray for this group of people that are here today, Lord, if they be one that doesn't know you, 
as Savior and Master of their life, Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation. I pray that they would begin by crying out in repentance of faith, Jesus, save me. And that their heart would be converted and that they would turn from their former life and they begin to follow you fully with all that they are. I thank you, Lord, for this place. What a blessing to be here. Lord, we pray that your lampstand would not be removed from here, that your Holy Spirit will fill this place with your holy anointed oil, Lord, and it would be poured out on these people and that these people would go and spread the gospel. We're grateful, Lord, for your goodness to us, Lord. We thank you for your word and the things that it teaches us. Be with us now as we go this week, Lord. Go and make disciples in Jesus' name. Amen.